along with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. We do apologize for last week's miss show, so it happens. Anyways, I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the magical, the mystical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsink. With me, all the way across the frozen ocean, is the man who is the keeper of the castle. He is Steve Parsons. Good evening. How are you? Be- are you dug out there in the frozen tundra of New England? Uh, you know, surviving. We're New Englanders. We do that. You got polar bears? Of course we do. Cool. Hmm. So, on tonight's quilting show... <laughs> <laughs> so, any... Any quilting... Yeah, quilting. Well, you know, actually, quilting's good for you. Uh, but it's oh, it's yeah. interesting because we were, you know, thinking a lot about uh, the snow and uh, paranormal activity. And with, there aren't that many reports of, uh, you know, like ghosts in snow, is there? Uh, the funny things that go through your head. Uh, do you know what? Actually, that's a very no. I don't. I don't really think there is. There are lots of winter ghosts, you know, seasonal ghosts. That, yeah. uh, I guess it could be snowing when they appeared, but uh, do you know what? I can't give you an answer to that question. I, I don't actually recall any, you know, not, you non, know, non-spring to mind. It's it's interesting because, you know, you would think that, you know, thunderstorms and, uh, you know, hurricanes and that type of stuff uh, would provide energy uh, if that's what the pe- paranormal people believe, that... Ghosts need to uh, materialize, and uh, so, you know, a snowstorm would be ideal, I guess. I guess maybe they don't like the cold. I don't know. There's only one case that I absolutely know of, and that, of course, would be uh, the uh, entity called the Presence, which is uh, occurs in a lot of mountains. But uh, the story I know about, which is in my book, Ghost Today, is about um, the Presence at Mount Washington, where uh, during a raging snowstorm, they heard a knock on the door when they arrived there there was a plaque from someone who had died on the mountain which was you know miles away not miles but a long distance away and it had arrived at the door so mm. the, yeah. only thing I can, the only thing that pops to mind for me is um a, uh, a case from old england i think the mm-hmm. county of devon uh and i think it was the 18th century mm-hmm. uh where a set of footprints uh, crossed the entire countryside um, for many miles, and there were said to be the devil's footstep, the, the devil's footprints in the snow. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to talk to you about that later. Um, I'll anyway, have to dig out the details of that one. Yeah, yesterday was uh, President's Day, and, and uh, every time I think of presidents, I, I think of uh, Richard Salva. And 
because the most haunting president is Abraham Lincoln, and Richard has written a couple of books on on uh, Abe Lincoln, as I know. So, without further ado, let me introduce to you uh, author and uh, Swami, I believe, uh, Richard Salva. Richard, you there? Mm, yes, I'm here. On uh, how are you doing? How are you doing, Steve? Hi, Richard. And, uh, actually, uh, I'm not a Swami, but uh, I appreciate you're, you're giving me that moniker. Maybe I'll try to hold on to it. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I get mixed up all the time. You know, I mean, that's, uh, that's I, I, true. For some that's reason, perfectly I thought you true. were a Swami. I do apologize for that. <laughs> not at all. It's, it's an honor to be, to be even considered such. So. Did you study under a Swami? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, my uh, teacher was Swami Kriyananda. He was a uh, direct disciple of Yogananda, who wrote uh, the classic autobiography of a yogi, uh, which has inspired millions of people throughout the world, including the Beatles, Elvis Presley, uh, quite a few uh, different people. Uh, in fact, there was a movie that came out recently called Awake that was about Yogananda's life. And uh, he really kind of tuned America into uh, yoga and meditation and spirituality in a very deep way. He came in the early part of the 20th century, and uh, he did what he, he crossed the country doing what he called um, spiritual uh, lecture, um, what, was it, what was it, uh, campaigns. <laughs> and he would give lectures in all the big cities, and he met the president at the time, who was uh, Calvin Coolidge. And, uh, you know, a lot of famous people went to his lectures, and he started to work in this country. He was the first uh, great yoga master to come to America and uh, make it his home. And he did that. He came here in, I think, 1920, uh, left his body in 1952. But his uh, work still goes on, and uh, I studied for many years under his disciple, uh, Swami Kriyananda. Okay, that's that's probably where I get that from, so I do apologize anyway. No, not at all. Um so you've I know that you wrote the book um, Soul Journey, uh, and I've had you on the show a long time ago, and uh, yes, and it's it's about uh, Lincoln and Lindbergh, and mm -hmm. and you, since then you've written an additional book on Lincoln, I believe, as well. Yes, actually, it just came out on Kindle. It's the, the Yoga of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, what. Uh, the basis for both of these books were uh, statements made by Yogananda that uh, Abraham Lincoln had been a Himalayan yogi in a past life, and thus the uh, foundation for the second book, which I, you know, just came out on Kindle. And then the other book, Soul Journey, which uh, later was reprinted as the reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Yogananda also said that Lincoln came back in the 20th century as Charles Lindbergh. So I thought, well, here are two people who are very famous. So much has been written about their lives. Wouldn't it be interesting to go through their histories, uh, look up all the microfiche in the libraries and all the little details about their personalities and their lifetimes and see if I can find any similarities or connections between the men that, that might show you and I how we how reincarnation might affect us, how if we lived a certain lifetime it might affect us in this lifetime. And so I went through, and I didn't know what I would find. I thought I might find a few interesting connections, but I ended up finding more than 500 fascinating similarities and connections between Lincoln, Lindbergh, and the ancient spiritual science of yoga. And then those connections between yoga and Abraham Lincoln I thought were particularly pertinent and interesting considering all the millions of people who practice yoga uh, in America and throughout the world. And uh, so I put those in a separate book uh, titled uh, The Yoga of Abraham Lincoln. 
Okay. So, I mean, uh, it's interesting because when you think of all the American presidents and you think of the paranormal or spirituality, Lincoln's name always comes up. Uh, It seems like he is the most uh, prevalent of all the presidents that uh, is associated with the paranormal. Uh, that includes, you know, uh, you know, rumors of seances in the White Houses, to him predicting his own death, to uh, uh, his ghost being seen afterwards. Uh, is there a relationship uh, between the stuff that just went on and the reincarnation thing? Yes, I think it, it has to do, uh, especially with the uh, the idea that he was a Himalayan yogi in a past life. And let me just explain that. Um, Lincoln had all these various visions and dreams. Uh, information would come to him through his dreams. Uh, sometimes before, um, he found during the Civil War, before some great thing would happen, some great battle, some great event would happen in the war, that he would have this recurring dream of a ship uh, moving swiftly and freely across the sea. And uh, that he had that same dream also just uh, the night before he was to pass on. But he had a number of other dreams uh, or visions. One time he was in his house at uh, Springfield, Illinois, where he lived before he assumed the presidency. He was lying in his bed and just looking over across to uh, sort of a cupboard that had a mirror on it. And as he looked at his face in the mirror, he saw that half of it, the left half of his face, looked normal, and then the right half looked ghostly as if it were uh, just a, a washed-out afterimage of his face. It was very strange. And he discussed it with his wife, who was very spiritual and intuitive. She was the main reason why they ended up having seances in the White House. Uh, their favorite son, their favorite boy, uh, Willie, died of typhoid in Washington, D.C. during the Civil War, which is a great tragedy for their family. And Mary wanted to connect with his spirit again and so lincoln supported her in this and so they invited various uh mediums to come to the white house so that they so that hopefully mary might uh, receive some information some connection with with their lost boy and uh, but uh when uh, Lincoln had another vision when he was, or a dream when he was in the White House, and he used to study the Bible and read about the various people who had these prophetic dreams in the Bible because it seemed to him he was having the same thing happen in his own life. And the dream that he had was that he was walking through the White House, and the White House was empty. There was nobody in it. But he heard this sound echoing through the halls of people talking and um, he followed the sound until he came to the great big East Room, which is where they used to have these big gatherings. Uh, they would have parties there and so on. That's actually where they ended up putting Lincoln's body um, after he passed away in the East Room. And when Lincoln, in his dream, came to the East, uh, big East Room, he saw that there was a great, what they call a beer, B-I-E-R, uh, uh, this big uh, platform and a coffin on top of it. And uh, he saw that there were people uh, filling that room, and he turned to someone there and he said, who is dead in the White House? And the answer came back, uh, the president. He was killed by an assassin. And then this great wail of of, uh, weeping and uh, 
uh, sound of people crying just sort of overwhelmed him, and then he immediately woke up. And it's very prophetic because shortly after that, of course, we know that he was assassinated and his own body was uh, uh, put there in the East Room before he was taken away from Washington, D.C. and eventually went by train back to Springfield where he was buried in the cemetery there. But the, the interesting thing about all this, when he was very young, Lincoln used to have these, uh, this, again, this vision would come over him even as a boy that he would ascend to some great height in life, that he would achieve some great position in life, some great seat. And from that seat, he would do some great thing for the world, and then that he would fall from that position to his death. And as you can imagine, this is a pretty heavy thing for a kid to <laughs> tune into at such a young age, but it's something that it was a recurring dream or vision or maybe a daydream. It would just sort of went through the back of his mind, and the way that it connects with yoga and a possible past life as a Himalayan yogi is um, it relates to the essence of yoga, which is taught by uh, a great sage known as Patanjali. And Patanjali lived a couple hundred years after Christ, and he wrote what is called the Yoga Sutras. And in this book, he outlined the very essence of uh, the spiritual teachings of yoga. And what we're talking about here is yoga. We're not talking about the headstand or the lotus pose, the various postures that people practice. Mm -hmm. We're talking more about uh, the spiritual side of yoga, meditation, uh, going within. And his treatise, the Yoga Sutras, uh, so sutras mean aphorisms. There's these little pithy statements that are very deep, each one. And whole big books are written about this. But um, each each one of those teach you how to go within when and it's not related to any religion it's related to to people of every religion who want to go within or of no religion who want to dive within and so patanjali conducted the greatest experiment in the history of the world by saying i'm going to dedicate myself to going within meditation and i'm going to chronicle each step of the way what happens how to get there what happens when you get there and so on so it's a very amazing amazing work and this this uh, treatise this uh, yoga sutras is well known for all the centuries since patanjali left his body and uh, any himalayan yogi worth his salt would have known about this treatise and would have practiced the teachings in, in, inherent in the, that, um, or the teachings that were related to it that were expanded on that work. And uh, so what we see with Lincoln is here's somebody who received messages and uh, information through his dreams. Now, Lincoln was born in India. He was born in the West, where we are very rational. We're very uh, science-related. We believe what's in front of our eyes, sort of the show-me state, the show-me country of the world, you know, uh, you know, all of the West is like that. You know, we believe in Aristotle's sort of approach to uh, logic and rationalization, things. You have to see it in front of your eyes to really believe it. For most of us, that's true. And yeah. uh, so for this... him to actually have a vision, you know, full-blown vision in daily life, uh, the, the conscious mind would obstruct that. So the way that uh, information would come to us would be, tend to be, through our dreams or even through our daydreams when we let our imaginations relax and then information can kind of filter its way through 
through our subconscious, through various images, through you know ideas that we have, and so on, uh, for us to be able to understand. Whereas if we were more inward, naturally, and spiritual, we could have this vision just in in daily life. And in the Yoga Sutras, it talks about various um, um, moral and uh, ethical guidelines, and then if you master them, you achieve certain powers, they just come to you naturally. For instance, if you master the power of nonviolence, you could go into a jungle and a tiger would be tame in your presence because you are exuding this power of nonviolence and love, and so they they would act like a pussycat in front of you. And so this would be the power that you get, but for, uh, there's one quality in there, it's called self-study. Where, which is introspection, but also studying uh, scriptures and things like that and trying to really practice what you learn. And uh, there's a certain way that yogis learn from the scriptures, and this was the same way that Lincoln used to learn just regular things, uh, law or when he was learning as a kid, growing up in school. He used to practice the same practice that the yogis used to practice. And when you master this, you receive information from higher realms, is how it's uh, Patanjali put it. And so here's Lincoln receiving information from higher realms and practicing the studies that uh, yogis used to practice. So that is uh, just one out of many, many signs that I found, having practiced yoga for like 40 years, of uh, yoga's influence on, on Lincoln from past life. You talk about all of the proofs between Lincoln and Lindbergh and uh, you 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 say, you say that uh these are, these are in fact i think you used the word solid proof i was i was watching your video cast on youtube earlier and you actually used the phrase solid proof um but there's a problem uh, and it's a problem that's been niggling me since um since i i i found earlier today that you were going to be our guest and that is that i mean i i i really profess no knowledge or, or, or understanding of the Eastern uh, ways of yoga, yogi, um, or of this, this uh, uh, way of uh, thinking. But um, on, on a straightforward level, uh, Lindbergh uh, died in 1972, I think it was in August. Now, Lincoln... Oh, uh, 74. Seen- 74, sorry, I apologise. Abraham Lincoln's ghost was seen in the White House throughout the period when Lindbergh was very much alive in in the 1940s by uh, Queen Wilhelmina of of Holland, by our own British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, um, by, by other occupants of the White House. Now, it strikes me as somewhat... Um, I, I can't get my head around the fact that Lincoln, uh, as we understand it, would uh, he dies, he reincarnates as Charles Lindbergh, and yet his ghost is still appearing in the White House, seemingly in intelligent form, because it's not just an idea of the the Lincoln ghost um, appearing as a recorded. You know, it's like a playback that's non-interactive. Yeah, I because, actually understand that because there are sev- there are several instances where the yeah, spirit of that. Lincoln appears to interact. So, how can he be in two places at once? How can he be reincarnated <laughs> as Lindbergh and be, and be the ghost of Lincoln? 
Yeah, that's an excellent question, Steve, and it was a question I had myself. I actually wrote about this question and answered it in my book, uh, The uh, Yoga of Ghost Hunting, uh, which uh, I published a few years back, uh, because it was one that occurred to me, too. I read those things. There was in the story, uh, these really fascinating stories, if anyone wants to look them up. Uh, there's a story about a butler, I think, in the White House, who was in the Lincoln bedroom. And uh, he heard a sound at the door, and he opened it, and there was the great emancipator standing in front of him. And um, you, you hear these stories. Uh, Jacqueline Kennedy uh, used to go to Lincoln bedroom because she really felt Lincoln's presence there. And at uh, difficult times during the JFK presidency, she would go there to try to tune into Lincoln, perhaps to receive some comfort or, or um, counsel in, in her advice of what to do in certain situations. Um, well, and so the question is, yeah, if, if his spirit is there, how could it also be in Lindbergh? Uh, well, the, the answer to this relates to uh, something that uh, the, the uh, spiritual teacher of Yogananda's name is Sri Yukteswar. He uh, said that uh, in the astral world, which is the world of ghosts that they live in, which is an energy sphere that underlies the physical universe, um, that those who are spiritually advanced, their spirits are much freer, and they're not just limited to one body. Um, they can uh, be expanded. They can do more. They can visit more spheres. Those who are in the lower spheres, those who are very attached to the world or, or really kind of degraded their spirits, uh, were much more limited and bound in the astral universe. So uh, that general principle we see in play here, because... If uh, Lincoln was an advanced Himalayan yogi, as Yogananda said, and I found a lot of evidence, I, and I don't think I said solid, uh, absolute proof. I think I, what I was saying was there is good, actually, solid the evidence word you used here. Was, no, you yeah, actually but, uh, did, let me you continue. Did but, use the word solid proof. Yeah, well, I think I said that it was a solid evidence, but evidence and proof, I know they're similar. But uh, the, um, the, the thing is that his spirit can leave an energy field in a place where he has lived. You find this with great souls throughout the world. Uh, I myself have gone on a pilgrimage to the sites where uh, great souls like uh, Francis of Assisi had lived, and you can feel an energy field there that is the residue of, of their spirit having been there. And some people have had visions, some people have actually you know, seen him there walking, um, Yogananda, when he went to Assisi, saw Christ and Francis walking hand-in-hand hand on the path there. Um, there's a very uh, real power that is left there by someone who is highly advanced. And one reason why they never, you know, the White House is such a small building for what it does. So often people have said, why don't we change this building? Why don't we make it into something much more practical for all that it tries to do because it's really not a very big mansion uh, for what it's trying to do and but each time they come back to the fact that Lincoln had lived there and nobody what? wanted to to change that um, but what you have then is you have the spirit of someone that can come and uh, remain in a place and can influence it and uh, people can see that person at times if they're advanced and uh, so this is more what you have. There, there are several types of spirits. There aren't just the ghosts that are stuck in a place 
Uh, again, these are what we were talking about when, when somebody's attached to a place, mm-hmm. their spirit is stuck there and they're not ready to reincarnate, they're not ready to move forward. And that is different from someone who is advanced who may leave an echo of their spirit there that can still have the power to connect with people if they have the right karma to do so. Yeah. Richard, also, you know, that's not uh, uncommon, actually. Uh, you know, for instance, um, Stalin, when he was alive, his ghost was seen uh, at the same time. And uh, I know that even myself, when I was in Gettysburg with uh, Richard Felix, uh, I had a doppelganger, a, uh, an imitation of myself. Um, yeah, we're not. That's not what we're talking about, Ron. The the idea of bilocation or doppelganger well, well, is separate well, from. Yes, it is because uh, no, because Lin, Lindbergh Lindbergh was very much alive and yet was the same person as Lincoln, and yet Lincoln was very much in our in our understanding dead. So what you have is uh, this soul, spirit, energy, person being in a living body and appearing as a revenant, uh, a hallucination, an apparition yeah, uh, in a different happen. location. That's, that's entirely separate from a doppelganger from a, from, or from bilocation. Well, not really uh, when you think different about it. Different phenomena entirely. Well, no, not really if you think about it. If you believe in reincarnation, say Lindbergh was Lincoln. Well, Therefore, his essence of Lincoln could appear as a doppelganger. So even though you're not <laughs> in the body of Lindbergh, you're seeing his essence, which would be... Uh, Lincoln. Lindbergh. Yeah. Well, Lindbergh, Lindbergh's doppelganger would be Lindbergh. Lincoln's no, doppelganger. No, 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 no. People can, uh, you know, see the, 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 the question here, and I think the confusion rises in the, the idea that a soul is necessarily limited to uh, one physical body. Um, it, the soul is much greater than that. Our spirits are much greater than that. And once we really tune deeply into our spirits, then that spirit expands, and the greater it expands, the more it is possible to do. And uh, in those situations, uh, you can uh, take on a role of a past life. Each lifetime we live is just a role that we take on for a period of time. It uses part of what we know and what our spirits have tuned into for a certain period of time to learn certain lessons. And then we finish that lifetime, we go on to another one. But at any time in... You know, if somebody draws it for whatever reason, you know, if uh, as we grow spiritually, we are more and more able to just uh, act as an instrument that way. Someone can pull in that lifetime. If some great saint in India uh, leaves his body and then reincarnates in another lifetime in another part of the world, somebody who is really tuning into that saint in India can have that saint appear to him even while he's in another body, the, the, the farther we grow spiritually, the more freedom we have. The thing is, though, psychical research has got many instances of bilocation, of uh, miraculous, uh, saintly bilocations, Padre mm-hmm. Pio, uh, Teresa Higgins, and there are, there are others. Uh-huh. And yet, psychical research lacks any uh, uh, records of um, a living person reincarnating as or reappearing as a deceased ghost and the other question that's, that's buzzing around in my head is Lincoln was yeah, I understand Lincoln's significance and Lincoln's importance and his, his very prominent role in world history and, and American history but Lindbergh I don't, why Lindbergh? 
Well, you know what? You're going to have to answer that after the break. Could have come back and take, take a break right now. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, hold on. Great to that segue. Break. Great segue. <laughs> we'll be right back after the following messages. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International live on Tojinet Pararex, Planet Paranormal, uh, Ghost Box, who knows where else. We'll be right back. At Radio Crackle. Oh, yes, Radio Crackle. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be with remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased. We'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Mysterious and spooky, they all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parax family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Kolek, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Manus. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. To tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles and Next Generation. On Toginet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your tune-in app. I'll catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. And the beating of the snow shovels against the walls will bring us back into part two of Ghost Chronicles International. You're listening to us live on lots of things, or maybe one of the podcasts, and uh, as I said before the break, we're now on RadioCrackle.com, who carry uh, different editions of Ghost Chronicles International several days a week. Go check them out. Um, our guest tonight is... Um, 
a fascinating has got a fascinating proposal that Abraham Lincoln re- has reincarnated as Charles Lindbergh. Um, and I was asking him before the break, why Lindbergh? Because uh, Lincoln was a great emancipator. He's known throughout the Western world as the great emancipator. The, um, and yet, reading the history of Lindbergh, Lindbergh is, is, is a man who I do know a little about. Um, and he had some, he was fairly outspoken on the idea of race and racial supremacy, almost the exact opposite of Lincoln. Hmm, that's interesting. And it, it fascinates me why, why Lindbergh, because Lindbergh was, he was a flyer. He was a promoter. He was a male pilot. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't really that important a, a figure, was he? Oh, he was in the, in the United States. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was the first to cross the Atlantic, and he he set he helped Pan Am set up the routes uh, down into South America, and there was the unfortunate incident with his child. But he's there are there are lots and lots of articles that refer to Lindbergh's uh, thoughts on race and racism, um, and he he showed a considerable bias towards what would be um, possibly then interpreted as white supremacy and you know several of his writings from that time uh, carry quotes yes uh, you know i've uh, studied up on all those things too and in fact uh, there were times when i was working on the book where it made me wonder you know how could this have been lincoln uh, i put aside the book for a while uh, when i was wondering when i first came across those sort of things and then uh, i started studying uh, lincoln's life more in depth and uh, i realized that well, for one thing, uh, the one reason that a lot of people were upset at Lindbergh or are upset at Lindbergh was because he was expressing what a lot of people of his day were thinking. Um, and it was uh, something that was more common. These were, uh, uh, these were philosophical questions that he uh, and others were just sort of toy with you know, as far as the various races in the world and, and so on. Uh, Lindbergh was against... Uh, the mixture of the of the races, as you would, they might say it, uh, they might have said it back then. Uh, he thought that they were better off um, not connecting together too much; that they should be more separate. Which was interesting because uh, one of Lincoln's uh, ideas for how to fix the the problems that the America was having with the Civil War. Lincoln was a great man, but he wasn't perfect. And we see sometimes in these these things that that imperfection. But he he thought that what should happen is that all the what were called the Negroes then in America should move out of the country, and that this would uh, relieve the stress that's in the country. He actually spoke to a group of uh, African Americans in Washington D.C. He said, "The problem is that you all are here." And if you were where you were and we were where we are, then we wouldn't have the strife. So he said he recommended that uh, large groups of uh, the uh, African-Americans leave the shores of America and move to Liberia in Africa, which a a number of them did. Uh, Also, another location in Central America, they were given a certain amount of money for them to do that. And uh, he just had this thought that, you know, maybe if we weren't just around each other all the time, then it would be better, that uh, that we were better off separate. And Lindbergh tuned into that thought, 
at a time when a lot of people were talking about it, and he discussed the same sort of arguments that they were discussing. And but the thing is about both Lincoln and Lindbergh is that the way that they connected with other people is exactly the same. They showed no prejudice, no uh, animosity, no animus toward anyone for whatever their background, whatever their color, race, creed, really, uh, or, yeah, nationality. Not, he he treated. Excuse me, I'm, I'm just. Let me finish what I'm saying. They treat. They both treated uh, men as the, they found them. Uh, Lincoln had Frederick Douglass in the White House, and Douglass afterwards said, "You know, <clears throat> I really felt big there." And what he meant there by that was that uh, Lincoln treated him just like he treated anyone else. He said, "Here's a man who's intelligent, who's dedicated his life for a good purpose," and he he treated him accordingly. And Lindbergh did the same thing in his life. In fact, if everybody treated. If everybody in the world treated uh, everyone else the way that they did, there would be no prejudice or uh, race wars or anything like that, as they did in, in everyday life, how they met when they met anyone, how they reacted to them, how they connected with people. They were very open. They were very kind. Uh, there was none of that in, in, in them at all. But he could take a philosophical question and wonder about it and talk about it, and because he was famous, uh, people became uh, upset about it. But you were wondering why Lincoln would reincarnate as Lindbergh. And in my book, I mentioned this this thought. Uh, Lincoln's life was very structured throughout his life. He became a lawyer. He had this sense of this mission in life. Throughout his life, he did everything possible to, to be able to eventually assume the presidency. And, and then he did this, and he held the country together during the Civil War, practically by his own willpower, power of his will. And then right at the end of his life, he, he certainly deserved a vacation <laughs> at the end. And he talked with his wife, Mary, about going to California, about going to Europe, different things like that. And then right at the end of his great work, he was taken from his lifetime. So what his spirit really earned and deserved was a lifetime of vacation. And when uh, after a deep, in-depth study of Lindbergh, not just about with this point that you're talking about, but all the thousands of points related to his life, my conclusion was that uh, Lindbergh was Lincoln on vacation. He led a life from the early part of his life. He did exactly what he wanted to do. He had that freedom. As soon as he flew the Atlantic, um, he was free to do whatever he wanted to do. And the other thing is that Lincoln was never acknowledged in his, in his lifetime for the great things that he did. Uh, certain people showed affection and appreciation for him, but many didn't. And he was uh, hammered in the press in various uh, ways. And then, um, but he deserved so much better than that for all the great gifts he gave to the world, of freeing the slaves in America, holding the country together. He did many things that helped not only America, but the world. And then here comes Lindbergh, who flies the Atlantic, and immediately everyone falls in love with him. There's this emotional connection with him that doesn't really make sense. Uh, people would be, uh, he would have a parade in Manhattan, for instance, and there would be people not only on Broadway, but on the side streets arching out from Broadway, uh, radiating out, and then the other streets, they were, they were just street after street was filled with people, and they could hear that Lindbergh was going by, and many of those people were weeping. Now, this didn't make sense, but it does make sense that this was Lincoln reborn. And the fact that for decades after that flight, Every time he went to a country for the first time, they had to have a parade with him, and he was just sick to death of these parades. But if this was Lincoln reborn, and it all made perfect sense. I, I, I can't see it. I, I really can't see any... Um, 
you, you talk about um, you talked earlier about and I'm sorry I, I, I it's, Skype sometimes gives this slight delay so we, we do talk over people sometimes um, but Lindbergh was, was a strong supporter of eugenics he was also um, along with Henry Ford notoriously anti-Semitic this doesn't sound like somebody who could get on with everybody this sounds like somebody with very very strong uh, views. He's on record many, many times uh, to talking about supremacy of race. And it, that's the opposite of what we're taught about Lincoln. Well, so I, uh, when you say all I could say other, is that I've, I've studied all the things that you're talking about, and it was just one aspect of the man. And it wasn't even a deep aspect, because as I said, if you study the way he related to people you get a very different impression of someone than if you talk about what he's talking about philosophically, wondering, gee, does this make sense? I guess it does. A lot of people, very smart people that day, were talking about the same thing. It's not like he originated these ideas. He discussed them with people. He thought maybe they had some validity. But if you really are talking about what you're talking about, is you, you feel that there is a very great separation from the spiritual essence of Lincoln as opposed to the spiritual essence of Lindbergh. And in the latter part of the book, The Soul Journey or Reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln, I actually do a spiritual comparison of the two men. And now when you compare the legends of the two men, especially Lindbergh as he is now and Lincoln as he is now, you have a, if you were to look at a graph and you look at the, uh, uh, how high they are on the graph spiritually, in their daily lives, but you compare it to their legend, Lincoln's legend lifts him higher even than he was, which was actually very high on a spiritual and moral basis, just based on how a person acts and reacts and interacts with the world on a daily basis naturally. And it was actually quite high there. Uh, he was he was a very spiritual person, but if you look at Lindbergh too, you see the you know if you look at his his legend, then he's like way down the bottom with what you're talking about. Because people poke po point at that and focus on that and say that was who Lindbergh was. But if you go through and you look at his life and how he lived his life and how he, he acted and how he, he what he did. The spiritual connections between the two showed them to be Lincoln and Lindbergh actually as they were in daily life, how they lived, almost exactly the same. And this takes going through and reading other books besides just the books about on the subjects you're talking about, but about on his childhood, on the, you know, the interactions with his friends, the people describing him, what he did, what he said, and they said, oh my gosh, he did that. Uh, he was, it was really remarkable to me, to see that here you see real evidence of reincarnation, because who and what we are is a spirit. You know, whatever philosophies we might adopt or adapt or, or consider or discuss, you know, who and what we really are is judged not on the what we talk about, but what we do. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, what we really do in daily life, our daily habits, this is how we should be judged, if anything. And in my book, I go through, and all those spiritual qualities, nonviolent, Truthfulness, being self-honest, not greedy, self-control, not attached to the body, austerities, all these spiritual and yoga qualities, which show, again, a past life as a Himalayan yogi, were just about uh, the same and an equal measure between Lincoln and Lindbergh. Right. We actually have a question or two in the uh, chat room. You want to handle that, Steve? Yeah. Uh, is it the Toggy or the Parax? Uh, the Togi. Will, oh yeah. Will Ring Lincoln reincarnate again 
And if so, is there any indication as to who we might be? Oh, that's a good yeah. question, actually. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I read uh, about this statement, and I talked with uh, Kriyananda, connected with Kriyananda about this. He wrote about it, of Yogananda statement about Lincoln's reincarnation, in his book called uh, The New Path, My Life with Paramahansa Yogananda. And uh, in that uh, book, uh, Kriyananda himself, uh, he just had this hypothesis that how uh, this soul would reincarnate again after Lindbergh's lifetime, because he went through and uh, did, you know, uh, all these things to sort of, you know, he had his vacation, if you want to look at it that way. And then uh, what would he do next? And in his lifetime as Lindbergh, he flew across the Alps, putting his own life and his uh, life of his wife at risk. Um, during uh, when it was foggy there, and it was very dangerous to do so, to go to India because he wanted to talk with a, him, uh, to a, with a yogi about the yoga, the practices of yoga. He'd heard about them when he moved to England for a while. He met uh, Sir Francis' young husband, who is a metaphysician, and had been to India, and he talked with him about the yogis in India. He wanted to go and quiz these yogis on their practices. And it was such an obsession with him that he put his own uh, life at risk to, to get to India to, to do that. And, and then when he was there, he had a, a problems with his airplane, and he wasn't able to, he had to focus on that and wasn't able to really do what he wanted to do. But uh, Kriyananda's surmise that it might be that coming back into his next lifetime, he would go back to the Himalayas where he had lived some very deep and spiritual life, where he could continue the work that had made him great, to be Abraham Lincoln, to have the inner strength, to deal with all the turmoil and all the stresses of being president of a country that was trying to divide itself and you're trying to hold it together. Uh, how he was able to do that, he needed great inner strength, and he developed that as a yogi in the Himalayas, according to Yogananda. And then uh, the idea is that now he would be free to, to focus on, on these interests of his. Because, you know, Lindbergh's interests as a, being a, a pilot, uh, Lincoln was had this hobby and this great interest in his life, which was cutting-edge transportation. And he was able to indulge that interest in his lifetime as Lindbergh because he had that freedom. And here Lindbergh has this great passion, interest in, in yoga. Perhaps now he will be able to be free to, to uh, explore that to as great a degree as he wishes. Okay. And uh, I think we have another question. Actually, this is a comment on uh, about being seen in two spots. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Uh, did you did you say uh, who he might come back as? Oh no, no. Uh, Kriyananda didn't specify. He just said that he thought he might return to the Himalayas to pursue his uh, spiritual interests. Okay, thank you. Uh, what was the other question? You got that, uh, Steve? Um, sorry, I must have scrolled past that one. Do you want to catch that one? It's something about uh, Lincoln. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, basically, uh, he's talking pretty – and this is from uh, Nate. Um, he says that uh, when uh, Lincoln was Lindbergh and he was seen as Lincoln, uh, was it perhaps he was like uh, astral traveling in his sleep? Is, is that a possibility, do you think, uh, Richard? You know, it's possible. You know, our spirits could either, you know, have that. Um, um, you know, they, they could travel and do it with a very uh, strong part of your spirit, or it could just be the influence of your spirit. You know, another thing is that um, there, there are greater 
uh, you know, like if you are tuning into a deeply spiritual energy uh, or a spiritual quality that it can manifest in a certain form mm-hmm. uh, just by the power of your interest and your desire. And uh, so that can happen whether your spirit is aware of it or not. It can happen as if you were astral traveling, you might be daydreaming and then find that your spirit is somewhere else, you know, if you're adv- advanced enough to do that. Mm-hmm. Or it could just happen without your conscious knowledge, but if you tune in in meditation, you say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually aware of that on a very deep uh, part of my being. A lot of this sounds quite uh, uh, very reminiscent of theosophy um, and the uh, sort of talks, uh, the, the, the writings and teachings of uh, Helena Blavatsky and mm-hmm. later Annie Besant, uh, this idea of uh, enlightened supreme beings uh, occupying the high mountains of the Himalayas and uh, imparting knowledge. Uh, is there any link between theosophy and the modern yogi movement? Uh, yes, well, just to the extent that uh, the theosophists have tuned into uh, the teachings of India in, in, in their philosophy and in their writings. I haven't read uh, much of their writings, but uh, I'm aware of what you're talking about. And uh, they they were very uh, interested, and they had a very, uh, I think, you know, many of them might have been yogis themselves in past lives. Uh, but uh, again, uh, when you talk about yoga, you could talk about someone who wears a robe and lives in the Himalayas, and then you could talk about someone who is just deeply spiritual, because uh, if you're deeply spiritual, you're following a yogic way of life, because it's universal qualities, universal teachings. Mm-hmm. And I have one question, actually, for myself. Is is we of course we know that Lincoln lost a child, and then Lindbergh also lost a child. Is is that? I mean, what is your thoughts on that? As far as is there a relationship? Uh, I mean, is is this is this related to the soul itself? If if they were both the same people, or is it uh, just by half a chance? Yeah, so we have the uh, great tragedy, too, in, in Lindbergh's life of having his, his son kidnapped and then uh, killed during the kidnapping attempt. And while they were trying desperately to have their son be brought back to them, they didn't know that he was already gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's a very sad, uh, both of them had this, this great sadness in their lives. And uh, the, the thing that uh, happens for many of us in various lifetimes, sometimes uh, there, there's so many aspects of life in which we can learn a spiritual lesson, and there are various octaves of that lesson, whereas if we once learn something very deeply, then it's ours forever. You know, whatever lifetime we go into, if you really uh, master a certain understanding, it's yours forever. And uh, what I see, what I tuned into while reading about both of these men and their great tragedies, um, uh, Willie was Lincoln's favorite son. And it was a very great tragedy for him when, when, when uh, Willie died. And he used to take off time every Thursday, which uh, in India is called Guru Day, a day for reflection and inner withdrawal. And Lincoln did this on Thursdays. He would take time off and just think about Willie and just take a little bit of time away from the war and politics and everything else going on and just sort of sit in, in his office and just reflect on, on his son. And um, he, he grieved very deeply for Willie. And then at one point, they had a certain minister, a pastor, came into the White House. And uh, Lincoln was talking about his lost son. And 
the pastor said to him, well, you know, but Willie's really alive. And Lincoln looked at him as if he were mad, and he said, well, how can you say that? He's dead. And he said, to God, all are living. And this touched something deep inside of Lincoln, and he, it really brought him this great healing, this thought that maybe we do live beyond our physical bodies. After all, he had had dreams of Willie coming to him after his passing and him speaking with Willie and believing, really, that this was true because it was so real. And, and this just sort of kindled something inside of him. Maybe it was something, a Himalayan memory, tuning into the idea that our souls are, are eternal. They don't die when our physical body dies. Mm-hmm. And he wept, Lincoln wept, and he embraced this, this pastor, and he thanked him so deeply. And after that, even though he still missed Willie, he didn't have that same sense of the utter loss that a parent might have uh, for the loss of a child. Mm-hmm. And then what we see in, in Lindbergh, um, after his, his son, when they found out that his son was, die- was gone, he grieved in the same way that uh, Lincoln did at the end of his life, where he had this sense of, of, of it's, he's gone, I will always miss him, and I will always love him, but I feel that we will meet again. This just manifested through himself. Some people thought he was cold. He didn't mourn the same way that Anne Marlenberg, his, his, his wife, mourned, and mm-hmm. hold on to it in that same deep grief that just sort of pulls, it's, it's so overwhelming. Um, he he was able to return to a sense of joy in his life much quicker than Anne, which I think caused some friction in their relationship. But you know, it's interesting for for both for both by both parents. After Willie passed away, uh, Lincoln missed his son so much that he asked that he can go to uh, Willie's grave and that they would disinter him just so that he could see his face. Again, this is really? you know week, yes weeks after his passing, uh, he just loved him so much and missed him so much. And Lindbergh, when he found out that his son had died, others had identified the remains. But his daughter Reeve, in one of her books, pointed out how Lindbergh was just so adamant that he should see the remains also. And it was just an an odd thing for both for both fathers. I guess it shows that they were really true. Uh, they were fathers on maybe a level that maybe many of us aren't, where mm-hmm. they, you know, whatever the form of the physical form, their love would demand that they still would glimpse uh, uh, that form again, well, even Richard, after they were gone. Richard, I hate to tell you this, but we were out of time, so we're going to have to say goodbye to you. Well, um, this went fast. <laughs> yeah, you've been speaking with uh, Richard Salva. Richard, if someone wanted to find out more about your books and about uh, you and yourself, uh, where would they go? Um, well, the website, a uh, quick way to get there is uh, to type in uh, LincolnReincarnation.com, and that will take you there. You can find my books, uh, just type them up, my last name, S-A-L-V-A, Richard Salva, on um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and so on also. Okay, we want to thank you so much for joining us, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a fascinating book. If you, uh, uh, the one thing I do like about it is if you look at the uh, the comparisons you put them side by side in a lot of cases and it's really interesting so richard thank you so much for being with us well thank you ron thank you too steve thank you richard bye now well that was interesting that hour flew by that was fascinating Mm -hmm. um some very interesting concepts being raised there i i like it because it's you know not mainstream you know it's it's definitely thinking out of the box 
as I say, it was a it was fascinating concepts being proposed. Um, and again, it's something that you know we don't normally you know it's not something we're familiar with on our normal everyday run of the mill paranormal world that we inhabit. And the interesting thing is about it is why would someone go on a, that quest? I mean, you know, to compare the two, which is, you know, uh, I should have asked them that if I had the chance. Well, but, there you go. Uh, now, now we have a reason to be invited back. Yeah, we definitely do. So, anyways, um, did you know that uh, Lincoln was the only American president that actually was a licensed bartender? Was he? Yes, he was. I didn't know that. But then, you see, we don't learn... I mean, we learn... Uh, Lincoln is one of the few American presidents that we learn about in British schools uh, as part of, you know, sort of history because the American Civil War, but particularly in, in relation to the emancipation. Mm -hmm. uh, Lindbergh is... You know that I've always had a fascination with uh, aircraft and aviation. Right. Lindbergh. Lindbergh was always a bit of a childhood hero of mine, you know. He, and he, he famously had... Um, he described it as a spiritual experience um, when he was flying the Atlantic and he was zoning in and out of, uh, yep. of, of unconsciousness. Uh, uh, and he, he said it was like a spiritual hand or a, a, an angel had, had scooped him up and saved him from, you know, plunging the plane into the sea. And he said it, it was like he was flying outside of the aircraft, outside of his body, um, which in the, in the film, um, was was portrayed as a sort of uh, dreamlike trance moment when he was mm -hmm. getting entranced by the clock, and Lindbergh did. You know, it, the, there have been associations with Lindbergh and that that sort of out of body right. moment in the trance and, and other instances in his life. So, you know, there is certain there is certainly degrees of well, spirituality within Lindbergh, which means we've got to wrap it up. So, but what did? Do want to mention is that Lincoln actually was told by a psychic when he was 22 years old that he would become president. And guess what? He became president. And he did. Did the psychic predict he would fly the Atlantic? He did. <laughs> that would be impressive. I would think so, wouldn't it? The first president to fly the Atlantic in 1863. Jimmy Carter was the first one to, to report a UFO. Was he? Yeah. I thought Roosevelt had actually seen the aliens at Roswell. Nope, 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 never saw All right, so time to wrap it up. We want to thank, I guess, Richard Salver, and, of course, I want to thank my co-host, the amazing Steve Parsons. Good night, God bless. Good night, God bless. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night, deliver us good luck. Are you fascinated?